We're going to have a chat with Costa. Uh, he does a lot of work in uh, anti-terrorism initiatives on both a domestic and international level. Uh, we met about two, two and a bit years ago at a place called Junket um, and all of a sudden we stayed connected over a number of years. Um, he also goes quite personal. He used to be 170 kilos and he goes deep around the, what the transition was from going from 170 down to 90 kilos. I've never met someone who's lost 80 kilos. And he talks around, you know, that was a journey of the last five years and he talks about that a bit. He goes vulnerable. So tune in, listen up and uh, enjoy. Alright, so we're here with Costa Hi. for IR9 number two. That's right. And um, so Costa and I, we met at Junkie. Yes. So Junkie. Or Junket. Oh wait, it was a Junket. Junket hosted by, by Junkie. That's right. Yeah. And it was a Junket. What year was that? It was a Junket, wasn't it? Uh, 2016. It was a bit of a Junket. 2016. Yeah, 2016 yeah. or 2017. 2017? Uh, yeah, 2017. I think it's two years. Yeah, two years. And um, in Canberra. Yes. Where they got a bunch of people um, together from all around the country yep. to talk about what kind of it was. Wasn't the um, the label was sort of innovators and influencers and disruptors and, and disruptors and everyone was equally as skeptical of being there because we were like no one wants to be that label and then we were like oh we all feel that way and maybe we just have to own it I suppose. yeah yeah and then it was we, awesome and then we all we had the opportunity if we had an idea that we wanted to share That's right. so it was a two-day unconference where we all nominated yes um, a workshop to put together then they had the task of scheduling us over the two days yeah. and then we got to self-select into those workshops over the course that of the was days. yeah for me I, that was when i first moved over to the east coast that's right i remember and it was fantastic for me to meet you know just a, a bunch of people who i yeah. wouldn't have usually would have met and the, you didn't get the chance to meet everyone you would mm. have wanted but i mean i like and i was just saying before that even with yourself we didn't get the chance to really hang out while we were there but we decided that we should stay in touch and then we reconnected when the time was right. Mm. So it was interesting because you're just kind of in the room with all these people that you've probably got a lot in common with. Mm. There's 200 people there, so you didn't get a chance to meet everyone. Yeah. But you're like, hey, you have some interesting stuff going on, let's stay in touch, and mm. the rest was history. And I think that's really cool how those conferences, um, you know, maybe not the instant um, manifestation mm. or whatever comes out of the outcome, whatever you want, yeah. if you're going there with a work hat on. Mm. Um, but then the beauty of going and investing time into the two-day program course or whatever it is, yeah. it's actually like these this network that you do build yeah. and how it could come up in different lives. That's the thing is like we all work in different spaces and then in, invariably if you're doing more grassroots oriented work or even you're, giving, you're doing advisory work and someone needs more expertise in a particular area that's out of your wheelhouse, yeah. I'll know someone that is a specialist in that yeah. area because of stuff like this and that's amazing. I like amazing. that use the word wheelhouse. That's what we're oh, about. that's yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, my dad jokes. Um, can we uh, share a quote that you okay. very deeply profound quote <laughs> that you have? Um, a quote that I've inadvertently tried to live by, I can't say I'm always um, faithful to it, is speak softly and carry a big stick. Which is really just about speaking with meaning and with authority and, yeah, just meaning what you say. So not just filling the space mm. with sound yeah. but to make sure that whatever I say is meaningful and has impact um, in a way that I'm comfortable with and can live with so mm. yeah I don't always do it mm. but it's something I remind myself of to augment 
my worldview or just the way I'm behaving in any particular moment, unlike right now, which is I'm just speaking to Phil's face. <laughs> I really, it was just so much was happening for me and I have this image of someone who speaks softly in a big stick, it's Gandalf. It's true. <laughs> Except when he's screaming, you shall not pass. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of times you're going to put that stick down and be strong with your words. That's right. Um, so yeah, it's just yeah. about speaking with... Um, I see that more is about speaking with dignity and um, intention. Yeah. So mm. not just having an opinion for the sake of having an opinion. And given mm. my work, that's so prevalent, I think. Um, and, and tempting. Like I think it's a very human thing. But it's just about being deliberate being thoughtful. Man, I love that you brought that up because I, I, I can't like I felt that there was a bit of a tipping point in me in my adulthood mm. was kind of um, you know, a lot of people probably say I talk too much still, but I believe it or not, I've actually slowed down a little bit. Sure. At times when people hook me in, yeah. when you you rise up to that and mm. you speak like that and pulls me up to yeah. speak like that. Yeah. And I think it lifts the whole room. Mm. And I can't when I, I've been having the privilege to be able to attend some um, the people I feel, like some people I feel live up to that so yeah. strongly is when I've gone to some of these um, gatherings of mm. uh, Indigenous organisations yeah. um, and cultural leaders mm. in on country and community and you go there and you, it's about um, being content with that in the space and yeah. silence and yes. then actually allowing people to sit with that. Yeah, silence is really scary when you don't know what to do with it or if you just don't know how to sit in it. And um, but it has some of the most telling bits of personal information, I think, sometimes. So you really just, even if you're uncomfortable with it, it's something to pay attention to, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a good lesson. Yeah, good, yeah ancient wisdom. Oh, I love that, yeah. man. Yeah. So with that, with ancient wisdom, so you you pull like a lot of your strength to do the work that you do from yeah. your ancestry, from all that. So I guess so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, just as background, so I'm... An independent researcher slash practitioner in the field of countering violent extremism, preventing violent extremism, building resilience to violent extremism. And I've worked in the policy program and research space and I've straddled that space for about nine years. Yeah. So really I'm not looking at the security side, I'm looking more at the community side yeah. of, you know, the impact of terrorism on communities as well as how people enter or leave those organizations or just divisive narratives and what can what impact that has on communities generally so it's pretty broad sort of kind of sociological kind of work yeah um forgot the question that <laughs> no but you just kind of i think it was great you kind of gave around a bit of the 101 and what yeah. you do yeah but then so say that that's the concept so then who are the kind of people who engage you in your services yeah i mean it, it really i think because of that independent role that i've inhabit and because of my my experience in those different spaces I'll work with universities, I'll work with community organisations community leaders as they need the help um, even social media companies as well about how their platforms are being used and how they can also um, create a better user experience for people as well mm -hmm. and you know giving pretty some pretty frank advice about how those platforms are being used and also the role of counter-narrative campaigns and counter-messaging campaigns, what works and what doesn't. and Yeah, it's, it's an ongoing conversation with all those different parts and I'm trying to make all those civil society, social media and big tech, governments, academia, I'm trying to connect those organically by what I'm doing. So yeah. that's the big goal. 
So yeah, I, I'm, I'm working quite across a few different spaces so in you, that area. And you're able to do that? You're able to be nimble with all of them? Yeah, you, that's yourself. why I'm independent. Yeah, independent. because I get to just deploy at a moment's yeah. notice to yeah. whatever um, whatever needs to be done. So it's good, mm. but it's tough working by yourself. Yeah. I mean, you would know. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Oh, totally. And yeah. I guess that we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, one thing I remember we caught up the other day, we were talking about you actually working with a group of young people in WA. Yeah, yes, that's right. That. Yeah, so um, this is an initiative that's being run by the Australian Multicultural Foundation at the moment. And it's about creating communities of young people cross-cultural leaders, I suppose, that want to address a particular issue of importance that as they've identified it. So 12 young leaders were selected from the community here, mm -hmm. um, from different community groups, whether it's culturally and linguistic or even neurodiverse as well, um, or other identity groups, I suppose. Um, we all did a two-day training thing together. And then after that, we kind of sat down and hashed out, all right, what's an issue that kind of connects all of us that we think needs to be addressed? So the issue that we all identified was um, the taboo of mental health in, for young people, <coughs> the pardon, in culturally and linguistically diverse communities. Yeah, right. So, you know, I think I've said this before, but mental health's tough to talk about at the best of times. Mm. What we notice and what we've known is that in cult communities, it's, there's a compounding influence of that. So, and a lot of the young leaders in the group felt that there was some stigma that was still really hampering some pretty important things that need to happen, like help seeking and talking to people about it. Um, it was getting in the way and there were some pretty terrible outcomes that were happening as a result. So we're gonna run a community conversation initiative over the next couple of months, um, specifically for young people um, in different local government areas. Um, which will then build to a showcase from the for those findings for community leaders and service providers from right. around the state. So to give them better ideas, yeah. insights. So right. what we want to do is not necessarily just have the young people come up with a solution themselves, because really that's where structures are so important. But just to say directly, speak directly to power about, hey, this is what we need. This is something that we feel is missing or if you want to engage people in our communities more because we've seen this as an issue and there's a disconnect um here are some ways that you can do that you mm. know so here's where we are it's kind of what is saying Fantastic. so yeah it's really cool and the group that i'm working with they're just so awesome so yeah. um there's that double benefit of that so yeah watch this space well what i'm hearing a lot and i love that I, what i'm finding from 10 15 years ago mm. and i guess the generation before us mm with this whole idea of, oh, we're rolling out this government initiative yep. for young people. Mm. Um, a lot of this stuff is just done because yes. this is what young people need. Yes. And to hear, you know, you, you've been engaged as yeah. someone who can be expert in this field, yeah. who can actually connect um, across cultural barriers or yeah. whatever, yeah. and create a safe space for yeah. people to truly get that insight. Yeah. Um, for one, getting you to do that. Yeah. And then secondly, to supporting you to facilitate this. And yeah. then a pitch, uh, pivoting and then saying, right, to get more of a, of a collective view, mm. let's roll this out throughout the state. Yeah. And what a, like, it's, it just shows, I feel, a lot of maturity in government yeah. to actually do that. It's not ideal. Yeah. There's still a lot of problems out there. Of course. But it just goes, it shows growth. Yeah. Um, and this is one of, and this is a federal initiative as well. So I'm the right. local coordinator. They've got a thing going in each state. Oh, right. So, which is really cool because each state will then work on their own issue, will come together in Canberra and then um, 
will present what each of us has done. So then some, someone in Sydney might be doing a completely different area, for right. example. But um, it's all around the same cluster of ideas around building community resilience. Because resilience is just about that bounce back factor, that ability to transform external influences, mm. to heal trauma, to transform it, you know, all that stuff. Mm. So, um, you know, we just identified this specific issue because of the skill sets that we have, the things mm. that we care about, the experiences that we all bring. Mm. Um, that was That's just where our heart was mm. as a collective group. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what everyone else is doing in the other um, states and hopefully, yeah, it's something that can keep happening. Because it's, cool, yeah. um, it's such a cool youth work or youth engagement, I should say. Uh, I can't call myself a youth worker. Um, youth engagement really should be that sort of like with youth for youth kind of model. Mm. Like you can't, or by youth for youth or with youth for youth. It tends to be sort of just kind of for youth a lot of the time. So yes. actually building a meaningful place for them to be able to decide what's important, yeah. to decide on the strategy, to create that room for even experimentation and failure as well, because mm. it happens. Mm. Um, and it builds their own resilience too, mm. um, is really important. So yeah, kudos to that particular mm. uh, type of initiative and more for it. And then um, before we get into your will, Mike, yes. about, um, you've also recently just come back from this amazing dialogue mm. in New Zealand. So yeah, so I was invited to um, participate in reality testing the Christchurch call to action that Jacinda Ardern made post the March 15 attacks in, in Christchurch. And it was just an opportunity for social media companies, civil society organisations, government representatives, um, and other sort of interested individuals from across the world to come together for two days and reality test how this protocol would work. So um, there's a lot of details there that um, I can't uh, get into, but there'll be some stuff released about it. And I was just there representing a civil society perspective, right. which was like such an enormous privilege. Um, and it was really underrepresented in the room and that was a really big, um, and you know, that was for various reasons. It's not that there weren't efforts to make to be inclusive. It was just by virtue of timing and other commitments, there was a real- And resources, were they supported to go? Yeah, no, we were fully supported to yeah, go. Right. So um, I think it was just, a, it just speaks to the sort of the competing commitments that a lot of civil society groups have mm -hmm. in order to be able to attend stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there were lots of reasons, I suppose. And um, so, you know, to have the mantle of civil society from an Australian perspective anyway was huge because yeah. what I do is more about watering the grassroots than being the grassroots myself. Yeah. So I work with NGOs, but I'm not necessarily always the one at the coalface. There's mm. a lot of people doing that work. So um, it was just, I saw it as my responsibility to represent that as best I could based mm. on the experiences I've um learn from other people that I've worked with for the last almost 10 years yeah. now. So yeah, it was amazing. It was just such an strange, but awesome experience. I, like, well, obviously it's a real honor to do that. And well, that yeah, you because huge. you're yeah. good at what you do. Thank you. I hope so. <laughs> um, one of the things that's kind of come up, because you've got a bunch of different listeners. Well, the goal is for the Ion yep. podcast and mm. being a bit of an expert in this space. Yep. And a bit, bit of few and far between like, I don't know too many yeah. there's a you're probably I've always been world. so uncomfortable with that word expert and literally it's only because I've been in that space for longer than most people I think mm. at, at, from a young age like yeah. I'm only 33 yeah so I've really been in the violent extremism space 
since yeah, twenty four. But I was I was a young person in government, yeah. and then I moved out of that after two years and right. started to try and forge my own path. But yeah, I've been exposed to the issues mm. from a policy perspective and a research perspective for, yeah. for the better part of those years. And I've been lucky enough to traverse different spaces. It's yeah. not like I'm just community, I'm just this, which are all very important. It's just I've been able to collect those experiences and mm. hopefully that shows in my work. So yeah, there's no formal discipline either because it's multidisciplinary. Yeah. You've got to you've got to learn from your social workers, you've got to learn from your national security people, you've got to learn from your community development people. Like there's a place for, there's a place and a space for everyone mm. in a social issue like violent extremism. And also the nature of the problem is different to what it was before the September 11 sort of attacks. Like we, we forget that the nature of the space changed completely after the Twin Tower attacks. Mm. So yeah, it's a really evolving, mm. still maturing space. And the, what I was leading to is like, so you, you work a lot of this policy level up here. Yeah. But then you've also got this kind of semi-grassroots conversations with young people. Yeah, yeah. But then I guess there's this other big pocket of Australians mm. or, you know, people in, in, in the world yeah. who don't necessarily understand or yeah, engage. Because maybe they probably have views about it. Yeah. Oh, man. Tell me about <laughs> it. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, to, is it kind of like if people are listening to this as well, oh, I actually haven't, you know, I heard about it on the news. Yeah. But like, is it something that people can like, or when I say people, like Anglo-Saxon people mm. who are not really necessarily engaged. Yeah. With its dialogue, like I think you... that's something we're still catching up on in terms of mainstreaming the conversation. Mm. I tell you what, though, like my informal conversations with people from like Uber drivers to my barbers or whatever, um, we'll have like wildly different opinions. The values that are connecting us are kind of similar, though. It's just we've got really different experiences and really different, um, yeah, different experiences and different opinions on how to get to a similar place but most people appreciate just having the space to actually talk about it like it's become a really scary polarizing thing to talk about and it's a very emotional space too it's particularly you know if you're from like one of the muslim communities and you know this is having some serious effects for them on the ground um in terms of how they're being treated and um you know instances of islamophobia are on the rise and you know and whatnot but you know trying to think of the way to put this um people just appreciate being able to in express themselves and be seen and once they felt like they've been understood and they've been seen as a whole person then you can go on that journey with them in terms of teaching them what the actual way of the world actually is in this stuff yeah. and engage with the more objective point of view so i like to create that subjective point of view and that and conversation is usually the best way for that to happen so, you know, I'm very passionate about creating those spaces for those people to be themselves while still having respect for the people around them, but enough that, that you can get a sense of who they are. Mm. And then you turn that into a collective pursuit for the truth of whatever you're trying to learn more about. So mm. it's a challenge, but it's awesome. Like mm. to be able to do that is just mm. amazing. Yeah. yeah, well, well, thanks for sharing that. And I think it's one of the challenging things with the mains during Australia or someone who's not actively living yeah. in this it's like where do you start with this yeah. and i think what you what i kind of summary of what you're saying is like really it's about being willing to to step in yeah to have a conversation yeah and to truly listen yes 
Um, and something that kind of came up when you're talking about this idea that we are kind of connected through these like universal values potentially. Like, potentially, yeah. There's some of these ideas that there's aren't. something there, yeah. Yeah, and I think being willing to try to find that place to connect. Or we love family. Yeah. You know, or what, and then grow it out from there. Well, we're all scared about our survival on some level, you know? And like group identity is such a big part of feeling protected, you know? So, and you can see it in the way we talk about a whole bunch of social issues that plague any community at the moment, particularly English speaking, um, quote unquote, developed world kind of places like Australia, where we're talking about vaccines, we're talking about the climate, we're talking about terrorism. These are all safety issues at the end of the day. And if you have a, my, I haven't done the formal research on this yet, so it, it, this is just a hypothesis, but like there are very clear things, in, at least from where I'm sitting, about how we talk about these issues, how we disagree on these issues. Um, so it's important to be able to seize or try and identify the common values and at least start there. Like conflict is good mm. if it's had properly. Um, it's about trying to develop more of a conflict culture around these ideas, but with this shared understanding like, hey, we still live and breathe and share the same space. We still got, like whether people like it or not, like community is for everyone, not just the people we like or are similar to. Mm. So, you know, what is the thing that is kind of, what is that social fabric that's uniting all of us? Mm. It's, it's, it's there. Like, I, I guess I'm buoyed by that belief that it's there. Um, you just gotta uh, renew the focus on it, I think. So I'll seize any opportunity to do that if I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think that's a real um, nice little segue into yeah. yarning and being this idea around um, conversation. Yeah, tell me about it. And um, we might uh, open up your little uh, yeah. eye yarn here and have a bit of an eye on you. Go for it. So, you know, um, what I like how we do this is, you know, you've got some areas that are quite high. Yes. And then you've got some areas that aren't as high. Yeah. Um, so friends and family, talk to me about that. I'm like the luckiest person in the world when it comes to friends and family, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very close with my immediate family, mum, dad, brother and sister. I'm the youngest. Um, by 10 years in my family too. So well, I'm still baby. the baby, yeah. <laughs> the surprise, as I'm called. Um, <laughs> not the accident. Um, so I'm really lucky. Like we've been through a lot as a collective, as every family does, I guess. But um, yeah, we've had some trying times recently. You know, even yesterday, um, one of my favorite aunts is really unwell and she got unwell really suddenly. So I effectively went and said goodbye to her yesterday. Um, even though, you know, we're not counting her out just yet, but you know, she's, she's slipping away. And, you know, to be able to have a family that was collectively hurting by that, but also propping each other up, I, I just think to myself like, oh my God, how lucky am I to have that sort of protective net around me? Um, you know, we're all going through stuff and you know, she's like my mum's best friend. So my concern is mum, Mm. Um, and she's, you know, she's stoic as ever because she has, she feels like she has to be, but it's kind of amazing to feel that supported, that we can sort of be the full extent of ourselves of however we're feeling at that moment. So my family is, um, even when, again, when we wildly disagree, even on a values basis sometimes, um, there's just something there that is just inalienable, I think. And I'm just so, I feel so lucky that I've got that. So. Yeah, family and friends is the same. Like I'm in a situation in my life where 
nine times out of ten on a friendship level I'm surrounded by people that genuinely know me that genuinely love me like I feel like a very loved person in that sense so but I realize that's not everyone's experience mm. so all that really makes me want to do is help people find that within their own lives too because I like it's really helped me through some really hard personal times as mm. well so yeah it's cool because I've got friends that also really respect my just different rhythm with life too like because I, I, I veered between lots of different things and um, I've never really had a linear path doing anything so and I've never been judged for that and that's been really cool mm. um, even if I've been challenged or questioned on it um, it comes from a place of respect and care mm. and I, I'll always connect to someone's sincerity more than um, you know a poorly phrased question about what I'm doing or, or whatever it is so mm. I, again that comes from years of just building those relationships like I've got friends to this day that I've, I've known since I was five and I'll talk to at least every week and you know we're all getting older people are having kids people are advancing their careers or having a massive sea change but for some reason we still stay connected and it's just the most special thing ever um, to the point where I'm so afraid of losing it one day and you know seeing my aunt in the state that she's in really reminds you like life's precious mm. and you know I'm so glad that she has the privilege to be where she's at where she's just surrounded by people who love her all the time and I love her too like mm. she's my favorite aunt so um, you kind of just want that for I don't know I, I see that and I'm like this is how it should be like you know mm. Death is one of those things that's inevitable yeah. and comes for us all. My, what I'm fighting for at the end of the day is to just cut out the unnecessary parts, you know, that make that unnecessary suffering, I suppose. Very Buddhist. But, um, yeah, like to, for people to die with dignity, to die with people who love them around them, you know, to have those relationships throughout their lives that really sustain us and hopefully build us to a better version of ourselves I think too so yeah super lucky in that regard nice. very yeah well that, I guess that's a bit of a rock so you can do you find that, that doesn't really move too much yeah yeah um I would say yeah it really doesn't um that's a big constant for me mm. and even when it's been a source of contention for me like where like so you know conflict is inevitable in every part of your life so like I have had times where I've had some real been at loggerheads with my family or with friends about stuff and you're just like oh this is going to be the relationship ending fight that we have but it's just like mm. when you actually sit back and think about it you're like man we have so much goodwill to fall back on and to sort of recontextualize whatever it is we're fighting about yeah um that this really isn't that paradigm shifting kind of fight. Like this is a pretty good fight to have it. <laughs> all I, things being considered. I really love what you're saying there. And you've got so much context. And yeah. I think, you know, this is the, the deep and meaningful family, yeah. friend connections. Yeah. But th that doesn't just happen though. No. That happens from years and years. Years of rupture and repair, you know. Rupture and repair. Yeah. And a willingness to get back to heal. It's hard. Um, again, because I've never been in a situation where I've been like, hurt deliberately by people you know so or at least as far as I know anyway so and not from the friends that I still have you know where it's just like because I mean there's, ne there's not an abusive dynamic there's like I'm, I'm in the relationships of sort of you know where people see 
uh, not either way, but just we're on the same level, you mm. know. So there's no weird power dynamics or anything like that. It's just very like everyone is the fullest extent of themselves. They clash, they resolve, right. you know. If things don't work out, you have a break, you come back. Cool. You know, like it's just one of those things where it's like there's a there's a strong magnetic or like gravitational pull between those mm. that I care about and care about me mm. that it can withstand some of those mm. tougher times that life throws at you. So it's cool. Like so lucky. I, I thank myself every day for it. Yeah. So then let's uh, these areas are the ones. So yes. there's that you know getting a bit um, part of the um, idea of. Uh, connecting is mm. being a bit vulnerable. Yeah. So do you feel like these areas of that aren't as strong? Do you talk to the family and friends about them? And yeah. So I've got work and health as the parts that are a bit lower, and I think I made the comment in the wheel that it's not because I'm unhappy with it. It's just because there's so much room to grow. I feel like I should always be doing more, mm. or that I'm never quite content with what I'm doing. Because again, like work-wise, like I work by myself mainly, so it's always a hustle. I always want to be connected to work that I think is meaningful in some way too, so I don't want to haul myself out. But, you know, sometimes it's really hard that you just don't, you know, if I'm going to be that sort of picky about what I do, then, you know, the opportunities are a bit less. But that's okay. Like, I mean, that's still a, it's a problem of choice rather than circumstance. Um, so it's just this feeling that even I can never seem to settle down from stuff like I'm always on. So there's just this idea that even when it's my time to relax, I'm like, should I be doing a lot more? I should be doing this. I should be doing that. So I do put a lot of pressure on myself. And health, um, health has always been a big thing for me, actually, because I, I think I have told you this before, but I used to be an extremely overweight person, and I have been for the most of my life. Five years ago, I had gastric sleeve surgery. So I lost 80 kilos in a year. I came down from 170 to 90 in a year wow. without even trying. It was just, they remove 70% of your stomach and then you just adapt to that. So it was this massive adjustment. Um, and you know, like I've, I've come in and out of depression and anxiety for 15 years for most of my life too. I've been some really dark places, like to the point where I think about some pretty heavy stuff constantly and I just thought that was the norm and again that's why my friends and family were so important because thankfully doing something dangerous was never even even though I thought about it a lot it was never really a, a reality for me because I had those I had such strong social connections you know so health for me yeah so all those things kind of meshed together really and then it all changed quite significantly five years ago when I had that surgery and you know, you get part of yourself back, but then you also realize that part of you is completely changed by that. So mm. part of you changes, part of you stays the same. Um, so five years out, you know, is kind of the time where you start to put weight back on again. You realize like, hey, I actually have to put in the hard work now, mm. which means you have to confront some of the bad habits and um, the things that got you to that place in the first place, which is really challenging. Mm. Um, so, you know, like I've had surgery to remove excess skin already and that's quite expensive. So, but I've still got a lot more to go. So there's kind of just this feeling of like, no matter what I change, like I'm always going to find something wrong with myself too. And I just want to get, I don't want to be an Adonis. I just want to not have like, I don't want to look like a melted candle when I take my shirt off. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I think about it. So, you know, 
I'm like, is that too much to ask? But mm. yeah, so there's always that struggle of kind of being good to my body, but at the same time learning, uh, you know, confronting some of the pretty destructive habits that I used to have. Mm. Um, what were some of these habits? Just, it was, uh, I would say that it was some pretty unhealthy attitudes towards eating and um, just to myself that made those habits possible. And like, and you know, people are all state shapes and sizes for a number of reasons. Um, and people deserve to love themselves, whatever their shape is, you know, at any stage of their life. I was just in that position where I was really overweight and I knew it was because of the way I was treating my body. And the way I was treating my body was because of some pretty gross things I've believed about myself. And wow. you know, like pretty poor self-esteem but I was very good at bluffing at the same time. So I was kind of high functioning-ish, but the wheels started to fall off as I was getting older. Um, you know, and again, it was my friends who told me to go speak to a professional because mm. I'd never thought about it before until about five, uh, 10 years ago. Mm. So, you know, I had all those good influences um, and you know, my twenties just kind of sucked mm. to be honest. Mm. It was in a very dissociated kind of way where I just was going through the motions. I was going through a law degree I hated, um, you know, all that stuff. Like I just, I just, it's a bit of a blur to be honest. Mm. Like everything before 30 is just kind of like, mm. it feels really foreign. Mm. But now as, as I'm hitting 34 in a month, um, those things are stuck. You realize that that wiring in your brain is still there. Yeah. So being confronted with that again is still kind of like, oh shit, I, I've done, I've done well, like I've done well since that time, but I've got a long way to go. Yeah. Um, I've got to do some pretty heavy sort of self work in order to just feel and be the healthiest that I possibly can be. Um, so yeah, trying not to lose sight of my progress because it's been significant. I've never met someone who's lost so much weight. Well, I mean, it, yeah, look, I mean, I wish I could say I was trying. It was just like literally 70% of my stomach is mm. gone. Wow. I just had to adapt. Mm. And, you know, and I had a great team of practitioners. Like I had to go through a psychologist, a doctor, yeah. a surgeon, a, um, a physiotherapist. Mm. They had to decide whether I was ready because it's a massive psychological totally. adjustment. And that was the thing I underestimated, even with that circle of care. Yeah. Um, I was like, shit, like that doesn't just change how I see myself. I don't just, you know, I, I'm not just magically better just because I've lost all this weight. It's just like there, if anything, it just heightened this disconnect in some ways. Mm -hmm. I managed to get some, some of myself back. So like I'm more comfortable. I run workshops on the regular now. And like, if you'd asked me that five years ago, I would have just been like, are you kidding like yeah. I could not do something like that yeah. it's public speaking granted I only do public speaking stuff when it's stuff I know about so I feel more comfortable just winging it but like yeah just things I would have thought completely unfathomable to do yeah. um, I can now do mm. and like you know just finishing a master's as well you know that's something I couldn't I didn't feel ready for for a long time so yeah, so it's a yeah, it's always oh, a struggle to just remember like, hey, I've come a long way from where I was, but like, hey, it doesn't, it's mm. not smooth sailing here. It's interesting how like this is the intention of what we're doing with yeah. this is that imagine 
you were doing this five years ago I know. and actually oh, physically God. saw where you were at. I don't know how I would have answered that five years ago. Like, I think everything would be lower. I think everything would just be lower mm. in, in a lot of senses. Mm. So the wheel is definitely fatter. If that means I get thinner and the wheel's fatter. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, it's the goal. Yeah, right? Yeah, so, it's um, the trade-off. But yeah, this, the, work in the, pers- the work in that sort of personal domain, like they do kind of... I rely on the friends and family to get me through the troubles with the work and the health stuff. Right. Um, and I'd like to be more self-sufficient in the work and health stuff, I guess. So right. that's, that's what I'm Great. aiming for. And then so to kind of wrap this up, yeah. if you were to say this is a, for lack of a, you know, 6.5, yeah. if you were to say, all right, what do you reckon is one of these areas that you could probably increase by a point? Yeah. And what would that, that be? And what I reckon would health. Because hmm? I've just started exercise again. I used to hate exercise and I found a place where it's like just not a traditional gym environment. It's like halfway between personal training and squad training. They call flow oh, just nice. to give them a shout out because um, <laughs> they're great. Um, so I, and I'm, and I'm seeing a nutritionist slash psychologist around eating habits and body image and stuff. And again, like men talking about body image, like it's just not a thing. Like, mm. Um, well, it is a thing, but it's just, it's something that's been slept on for quite a while. Yeah, put, put it aside. Yeah. Yeah, on the flip side, I've, you've got people who are obsessed yeah. with um, going to the gym. Totally. And it's like this, I don't know what the word is, but it's like a diversion of an opposite of anorexia. It's yeah, like well, they call that um, orthorexia, I think. Like, oh. and that really, ext- I don't yeah. know if that, that's probably not, a, it's not, probably not in the DSM or whatever it is, but like, at least in pop psych, I think yeah. they call it orthorexia, which... Like, yeah. <laughs> so you know like ortho meaning just like correct that's a greek word like oh. it, it helps being greek sometimes like i can, <laughs> I, can I can read these words these and just be like oh ah, that's about that's no big, surgery yeah. Yeah. but uh, you know so yeah orthorexia is just that obsession with being like dog- dogmatic mm. being like really rigid um which again kind of comes from the same anxiety and i kind of saw my my eating my disordered eating, which it was, because I used to binge, I used to just not care. But I don't drink or smoke or anything mm. like that. So that was kind of my advice too. Mm. I concentrated it in one area. But um, to me, it just looks like different manifestations of yeah. the same set of anxieties that kind of feed all of us. So, and for men, talking about like, hey, I don't like the way I look, is a really, I don't hear a lot of my male friends talk about that. And you don't really see it necessarily in the public sphere unless it's already buff people complaining about that they're not more buff, <laughs> which is fine. Like everyone, like you do you, but yeah. in terms of just like, no, like I really struggle with looking in the mirror sometimes and just really not liking mm-hmm. what I see and not feeling like mm-hmm. I could be a good partner to some, someone or, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to talk about publicly. But again, I'm in a social setting where I can talk about that stuff very yeah. freely. Well, mate, I, all I can say now, there's be so many people who I know who would get so much inspiration from your story. I hope so. And um, I, you know, it's a real credit to you and thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And um, I think we might, we might wrap it up here. Sounds good. And, uh, but thank you, it's been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure been all mine, thank you so and much. And I look forward to uh, following your journey. Of yeah, continuing this yarn. <laughs>